Blog Talk Radio. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your work on criminal justice reform as well as we try to work toward a productive uh, resolution of the challenges that we face here in America. I think uh, most would agree uh, that in a democracy, we just need a balance between effective law enforcement on the one hand and a healthy respect uh, for the Constitution, for civil rights and civil liberties on the other. Uh, and what people want in inner city communities like those I represent or as uh, Sheriff Clark would refer to it as the ghetto, what people want uh, is to make sure that the constitutional principle of equal protection under the law applies to everyone. And there's concern uh, that in certain instances that's not the case. The overwhelming majority of police officers are hardworking individuals who are there to protect and serve the community. That is my position. I believe that is the position of everyone who's genuinely interested in police reform. Uh, but we can't ignore the fact that we have a problem in some instances with the excessive use of police force and the fact that often it is the case when a police officer crosses the line, they are not held accountable by the criminal justice system. And that creates consequences in terms of uh, a distrust in many communities, perhaps leading to the absence of cooperation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and we welcome America and our, all of our listeners around the world. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. As tonight is a special night, uh, as every Spotlight on Capitol Hill is, and tonight we have the privilege of shining the spotlight on Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, and he comes straight out of New York, uh, the Eighth Congressional District of New York. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you, Lisa and, and Cliff, we had an opportunity to sit down uh, with the congressman in Washington, D.C. back in February, Lisa. And uh, I'll tell you what, an extraordinary man. Lisa, your thoughts on the congressman? Yeah, he was uh, Congressman Jeffries. It seems very, uh, he's very young to be doing all that he's doing. He uh, seems to be very strong, very forceful in what he thinks is good for the country. And uh, for a young man, you don't find that too often in younger men. You find that more with the older men who are who have gotten a lot of wisdom with age. And he seems to have gotten a lot of that before he's gotten to age. So I think he's I think he's off to a good start. Well, I'll tell you, they call him the rising superstar of the Democratic Party on Capitol Hill. And I'll tell you, based upon what he's doing, uh, there was just a vote passed in Washington, D.C., uh, on the Corrections and Recidivism Reduction Act, a part of the House Judiciary Committee approved that bill 
and it's waiting on signature from the President of the United States. Folks, I'll tell you what, if superstars rise and fall by the actions of what they do or don't do, I'll tell you what, Congressman Jeffries is headed way to the top. Folks, hang on to your seats. It's Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We're coming at you right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I am Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt and the whole AJC radio team tonight as we shine the spotlight on Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. And uh, this is a humdinger, Lisa, as we said earlier, a very gracious man, uh, took time with us out of his busy schedule, uh, Cliff, there in Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was, Lisa, it was in the evening time. Uh, best I remember was later in the day. Yes, it was. Uh, and there was a lot of things going on there. And I'll tell you, what a gracious man doing some big things. You're going to learn all of that tonight about the congressman. Also giving us a one-on-one exclusive interview uh, that you're going to hear tonight on this program. Only on ADC Radio you're going to find that. And uh, right now, folks, in New York City, 45 degrees, mostly sunny. Colorado Springs, where we're coming live from, five, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 53 degrees. Partly sunny, not too bad here in Los Angeles, 69, Washington, D.C., from our nation's capital. We got 65 degrees, folks, clouds and some sunshine. And uh, we look forward to giving some good weather forecasts as the spring continues to head our way. And Dennis, as we've talked as well in regard to Congressman Jeffries, some of the things he's doing, uh, you can't help but appreciate his hard work. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, justice reform is, is great. I mean, that's, we know we got problems in our prison systems. We know we got some things that we need to fix. And for him to be on the, the positive side of making a change is, is something great and good to be looking forward to it. Well, it sounds like, folks, it's the 4th of July, honestly, in AJC Radio. Uh, you feel like breaking out the barbecue potato salad and lemonade because this is a celebration of Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. And uh, we look very, very forward to this. And uh, Lisa, read the disclaimer for our folks, would you? Sure. We'd just like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. And folks, we, we, we invite you to call in tonight, wherever you are in the United States, uh, around the world, uh, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And tonight, uh, Congressman Jeffries, criminal justice reform is just one of many things, uh, uh, Cliff, that Congressman Jeffries is, is doing to be in Congress on the short period of time that he has been there. Uh, he is, he's, he's making some serious impacts uh, on our nation's capital. Your thought on that, Cliff? Absolutely. I mean, uh, everything that you read about him, everything that you see him doing, uh, you know, you understand why they call why they call him a rising star. I mean, he puts the time in, he does the work, and uh, he's not afraid to, uh, you know, be controversial when it when it comes to issues that uh, that he's passionate about. You know, you you hear him up there arguing for when he's about to make his voice his vote and arguing his points. He has no. He is not shy about his stance on uh, on civil rights. He really doesn't. And and, and Cliff, uh, you'll find uh, along with Congressman Jeffries, even his colleagues that we've had the privilege of spotlighting on this show, they speak very highly of Congressman Jeffries. They'll 
uh, Congresswoman Jackson Lee, who we highlighted last week, uh, she spoke highly of Congressman Jeffries. I mean, it's a consistent level of respect for this man that's doing such great things uh, in Washington. We're going to get right back to that. And folks, hang on. It's going to be a good one. Break out the patriotic flags. Tonight, we visit our nation's capital with one of the best, and that's Hakeem Jeffries. So stay tuned for that, folks. Uh, again, feel free to call into the show and comment, uh, if you will, at 347-838-8976. We'll say right now as well, we're going to invite you to go out to change.org for the IRP-6. We are seeking and asking President Obama to grant clemency to the IRP-6, uh, who have been wrongfully convicted, uh, have been sitting in prison now uh, for going on four years, Lisa, you said, in July. Yes. Uh, we got a lot of petitions out there, folks, at change.org, not we, but... A lot of people are doing a lot of things seeking justice. We're going to ask in this case to please sign uh, the RP6 petition. Uh, it just go to www.change.org, uh, sign the petition, just search RP6. Also remember Renee Lima Marin, the young man who was, uh, did, uh, I, I believe, 10 years in, in state prison. Uh, they came back after he was paroled, complied with parole, uh, got married, started a family, bought a house, maintained a job. And they came and took it from him and said, I'm sorry, oops, we made a mistake. We're sending you back for 98 years of prison time. Folks, not fair. Please go out to change.org. We, uh, we ask you to remember Jasmine and her two children uh, in your prayers uh, and also the RP6. And who are the RP6? This show and every show going forward is dedicated to the RP6. Who are they? They are David Banks, Gary Walker, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zerpolo, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper as we seek justice to bring these men home. Okay, Cliff, uh, we had talked earlier in regards to a story, some current events uh, you wanted to kind of kick off uh, to our listeners about. Go ahead, please. Well, yeah, uh, there's a story out in uh, People, as in People magazine. They have an article from uh, February 17th. It is entitled, shockingly, Detective Arrested for Allegedly Kidnapping a Man and Breaking His Leg While Escorting Him Home from a Police Interview. Now, there's there's so many issues with this story because first off you went you talked to the police now you know like okay well thank you sir for coming in to help us out you're going home the police officer who's taking you home kidnaps you breaks your leg and then drops you off somewhere they said detective adam o'donnell was escorting theodore life jr home from the philly pd special victims unit on february 3rd uh, the prosecution statement alleges O'Donnell grabbed life once both men were beyond the reach of the department security cameras. So this is not uh, this is premeditated. He had it all planned. As soon as we get away from those cameras, I'm kidnapping you. So uh, what he did, O'Donnell is alleged to have kicked him, kicked life in the knee. The kick caused life to drop to the ground in pain. As he stood up, life noticed that he couldn't put weight on his leg. It was later determined that his femur has sustained a non-displaced fracture. Now, to break your femur, your femur is your thigh bone. It's that, a pretty hard kick. Yeah, that's a pretty hard kick. But when you got on police boots and they're still towed and you catch a man off guard, uh, when you're supposed to be taking this man home as he's helping you in, his, in your investigation and you kidnap him, break his leg, it says, then O'Donnell then allegedly drove him to the Huntington Park section of Philadelphia in an unmarked vehicle, dropped him off on a random street miles away from home. And uh, Detective O'Donnell is a nine-year vet of the Philadelphia Police Force. He turned himself in after being formally charged with aggravated assault, 
simple assault, kidnapping, unlawful restraint, obstructing administration of law, and official oppression. That is what you get from law enforcement in some instances. But this this is the type of thing that shows you that something has to happen. Now, if there had been a body camera on uh, Detective O'Donnell, then... Most likely, he wouldn't have kidnapped this man and kicked him and broke his finger. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, this is one of those sickening stories that you say, okay, there's so many reasons that it shouldn't have happened. But we will see if Detective O'Donnell gets off on all these charges of assault, kidnapping, obstruction. And the other ones that I read. Just had to get that. No, got to get that in. Folks, go to any newspaper, excuse me, any place online, probably any newspaper, and see the continued abuse of power by police officers. Folks, right now, we're getting ready to go on the other side of this break because guess what? Desserts on the table, folks, as tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill goes a whole nother level. And his name is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. You don't want to miss this. Do whatever you got to do and get back and come back with us, if you will, because Spotlight on Capitol Hill kicks off next. We'll be right back. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union. And help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time smart justice and we need your help here are 50 white guys here are 50 black guys here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime the chances amount to 1 out of 17 Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Beat it. Just beat it. Just get in and talk about it. I've got to go home. 
wants to go home, right? <laughs> Go. Whoa. You okay to drive? I'm fine. You're sure? Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lamont Banks. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt and the entire AJC Radio team. And tonight, folks, ladies and gentlemen of America, pull up a chair and take out the flag or whatever makes you patriotic because tonight we visit a very special individual on Capitol Hill that has been in Congress, uh, Lisa, since 2013. And uh, you know what? I tell you, when you meet Congressman Jeffries, uh, you would never know that he has been there only since 2013. No, you would not. Uh, He he carries himself, again, as I said earlier, he's respected among all of his colleagues uh, that we have talked to, uh, uh, that have uh, alluded, Lisa, even on, on clips on our research, they say we would like to say a very special thanks. To the congressman from New York, Congressman yes. Jeffries, as it, for his leadership. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, superstar again of the Democratic Party on the rise and uh, a representation of uh, what lies ahead. It's very, very good for me to know someone, of, uh, you know, of his age and of his statue and his abilities uh, is up there on Capitol Hill doing some things. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I, like, like I said earlier, it's just awesome that he's he's got his hand in anything that could affect you know you know somebody that's been wronged in our judicial system. I mean, and I and I think that's good that he's he's really getting out there. He's straightforward. He's saying, okay, let's make this happen. I'm, I'm going to back bills that are right, bills that are good for uh, those that have been you know you know I'm the I'm the bad part of the justice system. So justice reform, I, I'm I'm all for it. And I, I think he's doing a great job. Well, I'll tell you, and uh, on this new bill, uh, Cliff, that just passed uh, a couple of days ago, and it was brought to our attention from uh, Congressman uh, Congresswoman Bass's office, Lisa, uh, as we, uh, of course, get ready to, to talk to her as well. But uh, Congressman Jeffries makes this statement as after the bill was signed. He said, we have a badly broken criminal justice system in America that has decimated countless families and wasted millions of taxpayer dollars. This bill is a significant first step in the right direction with respect to encouraging rehabilitation, promoting successful reentry, and improving the efficient administration of government funding. The country will be a better place when this legislation is enacted into law. I mean, that is just no nonsense to the point the benefit uh, of this bill passing speaks volumes. And uh, when you get into the, 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 the title of the, of the bill, Corrections and Recidivism Reduction Act, and it's to reform the federal prison system, strengthen public safety, enhance prison security, provide inmates the help they need, and protect civil liberties. This legislation is one of many bills that have been approved by the House Judiciary Committee as part of its bipartisan uh, criminal justice reform initiative. Cliff, when you read that, that's exciting because they've been talking about this. And I'm telling you, let me say it again. You're going to know what I'm getting ready to say, Cliff. Talking the talk, but walking the walk. That's right. And that's exactly what they're doing. Your thoughts, Cliff? Yeah, and it, it, what it shows you is that uh, Congressman Jeffries, is that his, his path, his goal, 
about you know civil liberties is continual because you look at some of the other things that he that he's done in, in 2015 you know he came up with the formerly incarcerated voter registration act where he's basically directing the BOP to include among the reentry planning uh, procedures the provision to federal prisoners of information about laws and regulations governing their rights as an individual convicted of a felony who's been released from prison to vote in each state and any voter registration or application forms a prisoner will need to complete in order to vote in the state in which the prisoner will reside upon release. So this is an extension wow. to this former bill because he's saying, look, these people have paid their debt to society. They've paid their time. They, he's, he's forcing the system to get into the role of, being, of uh, rehabilitation. The Bureau of Prisons... You know, it's, it's a turnstile. People come in, they go out, they come back in, they go back out. He's saying, no, give them the tools that they need to teach them how they can be a viable member of society again after they pay their debt to society. And, you know, starting from when he got in Congress in 2013 and now still pushing, saying, hey, we, we have to do this because you cannot, these are not just people that you throw away. Everybody deserves a second chance. And Congressman uh, Jeffries is ensuring that that's put into into law. That's awesome. And uh, I'll tell you what, a little bit of history on Congressman Jeffries uh, represents the diverse 8th Congressional District of New York, uh, an area that encompasses large parts of Brooklyn and a section of Queens. And I'll pause right there. Uh, this is not uh, Orange County. Uh, this is a place where there are many challenges. And it goes further, it says he's serving his second term in the United States Congress. Uh, Representative, uh, excuse me, Congressman Jeffries is a member of the House Judiciary Committee and House uh, Education and the Workforce uh, Committee. He is also whip of the Congressional Black Caucus. During the prior Congress, he served as the House Judiciary Committee uh, Task Force on Overcriminalization. Uh, sounds familiar in reference to the RFP 6. He presently, uh, Congressman Jeffries, co-chairs the Bipartisan Intellectual Property Caucus. And... Uh, Lisa, we've been doing a little research on the uh, Intellectual Property Caucus, and, and their purpose is to do what? Uh, they're to ensure that uh, companies and people in the U.S. have their intellectual property, property protected, protected. And it's not just out there for people to get, and it's protected from piracy and different things that are going on. And that's and, a, uh, go ahead, Cliff. No, I was just going to say, and uh, to extend on that, you know, that it's not to, to ensure that it's protected against, you know, other people, you know, uh, copyright infringement and things like that, but also that your intellectual property is protected uh, from the federal government, that if the government comes in, if they uh, happen to seize your intellectual property, if they take your patents, they take your inventions, and uh, they take your technical uh, property, that you have the right to get those things back. They cannot just say, okay, we took it in a raid, we hold on to it, we have it, and so we can keep it forever. No, the right against uh, intellectual property infringement is across the board. I can't infringe upon intellectual property of another person, and the federal government cannot end up, uh, infringe upon intellectual property of a corporation or a citizen of the U.S. Well, well, the reason that is is because if you take intellectual property, you steal the business ideas, exactly. and you damage the economy, you damage the entrepreneur spirit of America. That, that property is not yours to keep. And as we have found... Uh, and stay tuned, folks, for later in the night of what you didn't know about the RP6, because we're going to be addressing that issue of intellectual property and some things that have taken place there. But the, the fact that Congressman Jeffries, Lisa, when you hear about, I mean, he is the uh, whip 
of the Congressional Black Caucus, he, that's a very high position. Yes, it is. He's been in Congress since 2013. Right. We yeah. just crossed in the 2016. <laughs> uh, it, it speaks to his leadership, his hard work ethic, and his example of what it means. Uh, Lisa, we had talked earlier today in regards. He is known for being able to cross to go across the aisle and right. to make things happen. Uh, as we've been talking about for weeks, the criminal justice reform that is paramount in Congress right now, a hot topic. Uh, and I mean, you we have folks on both sides. Uh, there are Republicans in this bill uh, as well. Uh, we got uh, Representative Trey Gowdy, uh, who was also on this bill. Um, we also have, uh, let's see here, uh, 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 commit, Judi- House Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlatte, Republican from Virginia. Uh, th- these are these are people who are decision makers. Yeah. Congressman Jeffries, he, you'll find his name attached to anything where something is happening. Dennis, you had a thought on that. Yeah, you could you could see that you know, Jeffrey, the, the congressman is seeing that there is a problem, and if we don't fix this problem, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse, of course, and it's going to cost more money. So if we keep just spinning the wheel, taking uh, an inmate, get him, he gets out or she gets out, and within what a year or less than that, they're back in. I mean, come on, it's time no. that we we got to say enough is enough. Let's reform our justice system so that not only is it saves taxpayers' dollars, but we also educate. We also get people back into the workforce. We give them a chance to vote again, as, as uh, uh, you alluded to earlier. Sure. Well, I, I tell you what, what it does is uh, it enables our economy. See, people don't understand that. We have over 5 million children who are without parents who are incarcerated. The largest incarceration rate... Now, if you take those people, and and they made it clear in in some of the criminal justice reform discussions that have been going on, is that most of the people in prison will re-enter society. Most of them will. So we're talking millions of people that can contribute to society, that have the right to vote, should have the right to vote. And in some states, Colorado, I know you can vote regardless. But other other states block you from doing that. Well, how do you intend to have a person believe that they've paid their debt? Congressman Jeffries and this initiative and continue pushing of initiatives of criminal justice reform, uh, being uh, the whip of the Congressional Black Caucus, looking at how minorities are suffering injustice in this country. It tells you we have a leader and a rising leader, uh, Lisa, that's on the rise to what's happening here in America today. Absolutely. I believe it speaks to the fact that he is a born leader. If he wasn't a born leader, he wouldn't be leading so many at such a young age. No, absolutely. It goes further to say uh, Congressman Jeffries has emerged as a tireless advocate for social and economic justice. He has worked hard to help residents impacted by the devastations of Superstorm Sandy, reform our criminal justice system, improve the economy for hardworking Americans, and make college more affordable. We're going to dig into all of that because those, are, when you think about just those items alone, it sounds like somebody is trying to shape America. Cliff? Absolutely, and that's what it takes. I mean, you, you look at Congressman Jefferson and you say, yeah, he, he has become a front runner in the, uh, you know, in Congress as far as the things that he's getting done, the things that he's a part of in such a short period of time. And like Lisa said, you have to be a born leader. You have to be a person who says it, it, it doesn't matter what obstacle is in my way. It doesn't it doesn't matter who opposes me. 
it doesn't matter how negative, uh, you know, what negative things are said about me. I am about getting these things done. And that that is what Congressman Jeffrey does. He lays it out on the table and says, look, these are the things. These, this is what needs to be addressed. This is what we need to deal with. This, these are the issues that we need to take a hold of. And, and, you know, the bad things strangle those out of society, and the good things uplift them. And that is what he does. And you can only commend him for his stand that he has taken with the uh, criminal justice reform. Because, because for the people who are coming out of prison, usually they're just left as like, okay, you're out there. Sure. Hey, you, you committed a crime. Now, now deal with that fact. You're on your own. He's saying, no, we cannot leave those people on their own. We have to encourage them to become members of society that feel like... They have a place back in society that that with the uh, you know with the opportunity to be able to vote again, with the opportunity to get fair housing, the opportunity to get fair employment. That these people now feel like, well, since I was in prison, I have another chance now. I'm not just somebody who's thrown out on the streets, and the only thing that's expected of me is to end back up in prison in a year like Dennis. I mean, that's, that's right? awesome, Lisa. Yeah, I, t- I was looking here, and it says that uh, uh, Congressman Jeffries was dubbed by the Washington Post as Brooklyn's Barack Obama. Wow. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> wow. He, sounds- does, he doesn't believe there's any physical resemblance, but he's working hard oh. just the way our president's working. He's doing. He's he's fighting for some of the same things. He's, he's fought for job creation, uh, quality education, affordable housing, gun control, unemployment insurance, fair minimum wage, and, protection, and the protection of uh, programs like Medicaid and Medicare. He's been fighting for those things. I'll tell you what, folks, we may be looking at a next, the next Barack Obama, no pun intended, folks. Uh, we may be saying President Hakeem Jeffries, and that'll be fine with me, because what we're seeing here with the congressman, we haven't even got deep into this program. And I'll tell you what, the temperature is rising as we talk about this man making a difference in our, nation, in our nation's capital. And it goes further uh, to say that Congressman Jeffries began the 114th Congress determined to lead in a bipartisan manner. Uh, at the outset, he teamed up with Representative Peter King to pass the Slain Officer Family Support Act of 2015, a bill that extended the tax deadline so that individuals making charitable donations to organizations supporting the families of assassinated New York Police Department detectives. Uh, it says when, when Jan, that's the when Jan Liu and Raphael Ramos could apply such tax deductions to prior year's tax returns and President Obama signed the legislation into law. Cliff, he came out the gate crossing the aisle. That's right. That doesn't happen. Not too often. No, and, but what it shows is that and, and it, is a, it is a continual theme here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill that these members of Congress, they do what it takes to get the job done. There is nothing wrong with crossing the aisle to get like-minded people to say, "Let hey, this is some legislation that needs to be done. This is something that needs to be handled and taken care of for the American people. If I can work with the people on my side of the aisle, that's great. If I need to cross the aisle to get like-minded people, then that's what I'll do. And it, it, wow. it shows his character that it doesn't matter who I have to work with. This is this, My agenda is for the purpose of the American people. And whoever else has that agenda, I will stand with them and work with That's them. awesome. It's got to be about uh, what's right for America. That's right. Not what's right for the party. And Je- uh, Congressman Jeffries, he, he's crossing that line. He's stepping to the other side of the aisle to make sure that it's not about just about the party, but it's about the people. True. So true. 
Well, no, absolutely, Dennis. And, uh, you know, we say all the time we're crying to our congressmen. We're crying to our congresswomen. We're crying to Washington. What needs to happen? We say, when does it change? Do they hear what we're saying? Does my voice matter? And I'll tell you this, on the heels of a nationwide outcry demanding meaningful police reform, Congressman Jeffries introduced the Excessive Use of Force Prevention Act of 2015, legislation that will make the deployment of a chokehold unlawful under federal civil rights law. The chokehold has been banned by the New York Police Department for more than 20 years and prohibited or discouraged by several major police departments throughout the country. Yet it continues to be used by law enforcement, as in the death of Eric Gartner, the chokehold is an unnecessary and uncivilized tactic that this bill will make unlawful. That is someone, Congressman Jeffries, hears the voice of the people. That was an outcry across this country. We watched a man die on video, killed, murdered by a police officer who we're supposed to trust. That's right. And Congressman Jeffries did not shy away. He immediately began to say we must act. We must take action. Lisa, when you hear that, how encouraged, as, as, as you alluded to earlier, the next Barack Obama, and you can take that any way you want to take it, America. We're talking about a leader here. That is necessary for this country. Absolutely. It's something that we that we need. We need to keep that momentum going. We don't need to backtrack. We need to keep moving forward. And I think he he would give you a good he would give you a good reason to go to the polls. He would he would Absolutely. make you, he'd make yeah. you want to do it. I mean he was he was a very, very uh fascinating man to meet in person. And it was I think it was it was just awesome being able to be there and interview with him. Well we intend to to talk to Congressman Jeffries even further and develop uh, a relationship uh uh, with his team there, Lisa, his staff was very gracious to us. Yes, we want to say thank you to them and, again, to the congressman. And, folks, you're going to hear that here uh, on the other side of the break. We're going to bring that back to you, the exclusive interview one-on-one that Congress, Congressman Jeffrey uh, gave us. And, boy, what a delight it was uh, to have that interview. Uh, and, Lisa, it goes further to say here that in response to the tragic death of P.J. Avito, a six-year-old boy who was fatally stabbed nine times, in an apartment building elevator in Brooklyn, Congressman Jeffries introduced PJ's Act. This bill is designed to increase access to federal funding for enhanced safety and security in public housing developments. The legislation will make the purchase, installation, and maintenance of security cameras, enhanced lighting, and locking mechanisms as eligible category in statute statute for the purpose of securing community development block grant funding. How important is that? The housing, uh, the the low-income housing areas of this country, you're not going to find a camera hooked to a building. You're not going to find lighting. You may, I mean, you may need a flashlight in some places to get in the hallway. Congressman Jeffrey says, Lisa, he was motivated by the death of this, the tragic killing of this six-year-old boy. This is a congressman, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistakes about, no mistake about it, that is really engaged that a death of a six-year-old boy would make it what any of us would be outraged with. Congressman Jeffrey happens to sit in our nation's capital and has the power to do something and say, wait a minute. And it says here he was motivated, uh, Dennis, as a result of that tragedy. And he moved immediately as a result of tragedy. Gotta have a heart. You can't be a congressman without a heart. 
Yeah, you won't. You, you will not be affected. Yeah, you won't be affected. You, and and it speaks. You know, Congressman Jeffries during the spring and summer he holds what's called Congress on the Corner, and that's where uh, he goes to out, outdoor office hours throughout the district. And at each stop, he sets up a table in front of a local post office or a neighborhood corner, and his constituents there in in New York are able to meet with him one on one without impo- without an impo- uh, appointment. He's just on the corner with a table. Imagine that. Wow. You're on the corner. You, you're walking down the street. You know, you just came from the store, you know, grabbed you something. And you see sitting on the corner with a table and a chair. Wow. Your congressman. Does that give you chills a yeah, little bit? And, and he's sitting there and he's saying, hey, Cliff, what's going on with you and your community today? What what can I, wow. as your congressman, do? I'm here to hear your uh, your issues and in some kind of way help. What can I do? For, what can I do for you? That right there for the people of his district to see that that he's not just you know hey well I did my job in Congress during the uh, the session I did my vote now I'm going to take vacation. No, he is there sitting down listening to what the people where he grew up, the people who voted him in, who put him where he's at to say what can I do. I want you to know that I'm I'm still here for you. I might be in D.C. I might be up on the hill. You see me on TV, but I'm coming back home to show you that it is about you as part of the American people. That right there wow. tells you this man's character. Look, I'll tell you what. If we have, if folks, do we have a clone machine in the studio? <laughs> uh, we'll have to invite Congressman Jeffries and make many more of him. That and let me tell you something, folks. This isn't on the uh, islands where a nice breeze is flowing in New York City in the late summer. Uh, we're talking about high humidity, heat, and and record temperature heats, and he takes the time. Folks, Congressman Jeffries is connected to America. This is an American ambassador. Yeah. You know, we, we don't say that often. Who, who will represent? We say that back in the day. Who's <laughs> representing is what they used to say. Who will represent America? And it's and the American people, Congressman Jeffries. To me tonight, we shine the light on a man who is not talking it, but he's doing it. And th- that thing, uh, Cliff, uh, oh, awesome. in regards to what he does every summer, spring and summer, to take, go out when he, he he could actually be resting and doing whatever he's doing, he's in a position to really make an impact and to make a difference. And it says here uh, that Congressman Jeffries was actively involved in the passage of a number of other key pieces of legislation, including Disaster Relief Appropriations Act of 2013, a bill that provides billions of dollars in Superstorm Center recovery to the 8th, excuse me, to the 8th District and other affected areas. The Congressman also sponsored and passed as part of the National Defense Authorization package of designating the, excuse me, the package of the Prison Ship Martyrs Monument Preservation Act. The law directs the U.S. Secretary of the Interior to study the feasibility of designating the prison ship's martyr, mausoleum in Brooklyn, as a national monument consisting of a 100-feet-wide granite staircase and a central Doric column 149 feet in height. The monument in Fort Greene Park houses the remains of 11,500 Revolutionary War soldiers who were kept as prisoners of war by the British. Another hat. He says, I want to do something. Not Well, let's just put some flowers on some, on some granite stone or whatever. He says, let's build a memorial to remember the lives. It talks about 
he, his, his number one connection that human life really matters. And the price that was paid, Cliff, uh, by those soldiers, the 11,500 yeah. soldiers. Yeah, because you see so many times uh, with those veterans who have, you know, served our country, put their life on the line in times of war, uh, and just, you know, made the sacrifice of being a part of the of the armed services, even if they didn't go to battle. Uh, it is to be commended, and they, they should all be saluted, you know, if it were up to me, I would give them a lot more than they get. But for Congressman uh, Jeffries to say, look, we're going we're not just like you say, we're not just going to put, you know, uh, a one foot uh, block of marble and, uh, and, you know, and, and light a candle on. No, we're going to put something that reminds the American people that these are the people who gave their lives during wow. this time. These are the people that should be commended who who basically allowed America to come into fruition. And I mean, just across the board, he he is landed out across the board of the things that he is about, that he fights for, the legislation that he continues to push. And uh, I mean, he, he another one that leaves you speechless of, you know, just just getting things done up there on Capitol Hill. Well, folks, we haven't even you know, it's kind of like going to the dinner table. We haven't even taken off the casserole dish of of Mama's Homemade Meatloaf. That hasn't even happened yet, folks, here. We've just kind of taken the foil off the vegetables. And, folks, we are a bit overwhelmed tonight. As tonight, I'll tell you what, what's on the menu is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. And we're getting ready to break into some turkey, if you will, if you can relate to that analogy, as we get ready to shine the light and bring the exclusive interview with Congressman Hakeem Jeffries here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. Folks, hang on to your seat. We're getting ready to really take off on the other side of this break. Come on back with us. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. 
And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And, folks, we're excited here in AJC Radio tonight. And, uh, uh, Dennis, reason to be excited, isn't it? It's, it's, it's great. I, I was just thinking about when we were talking about how the congressman goes to the post office and sits out and, and, and greets the people. And I thought about when I was in the military how we had an open-door policy. That was the greatest thing ever because I didn't have to go through anybody to see somebody that could help me. And for him to sit out there and and just say, hey, ask me anything. Tell me how you're doing. Let me know what's going on. That is truly commendable for a congressman. Well, it's awesome. And, folks, let us not delay this any further. Right now, we're going to bring you the interview, um, uh, actually an interview uh, recorded live on location in Washington, D.C., And uh, I'll tell you what, it was a humdinger. Folks, hang on. The interview is coming to you right now. Uh, A spotlight on Capitol Hill. Now, we've done a show on you already. Yeah. uh, Through Agency Radio. I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to it. I remember. Yes. That's right. And we had a caller, actually. It was ironic. It was one of the callers called in and tried to disrespect you. Yeah. And uh, we, I tell you what, he probably thought twice of doing that uh, when we were done defending what you're doing here on Capitol Hill, uh, the, the objection, if you will, or the perception of what we want to do and the initiative is to shine the spotlight on members of Congress, what they are doing. And the slogan down there says, we're, you know, people are always talking about what Congress is not doing. Yeah. AJC Radio commits to talking about what you folks are doing up here. And I'm telling you, Congressman Jeffrey, we have interviewed Congressman Conyers. He's been on the show. We have interviewed Congress uh, Lisa. I mean, I get lost on the number of people. Congressman Rangel. Twice he's appeared Rangel on the twice. program. Congressman Hank Johnson. Senator Grassley, Senator, I mean, Congressman Sensenbrenner, Senator Mike Lee, yeah. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, we had a lot of And Congresswoman Barbara Lee spoke very highly 
of you. I believe I pulled a clip doing that show when she was giving very uh, sincere homage, if you will. She's great. Uh, to, to what you're doing. And uh, it, it is it is catching fire uh, with our audience. Our audience, uh, block, we're with the Blog Talk Radio family, Internet Radio. It's, it's in the numbers clip of almost 21 million yeah. people uh, across the United States. We have people calling from the UK, Australia. People are knowing what America's leaders are doing through Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Uh, the American people are hearing what, what you folks are doing because here's, the, here's our objective. If you can get the American people to hear the work, to hear the man or the woman, the husband, the wife, the, the father, guess what? That's going to make me get up. I don't care how cold it is in November where I live. I'm putting on my boots and going to the vote. I'm going to vote yeah. because I believe I have a relation or a connection uh, with the Congress people. And that's what we're seeing happen. Lisa, I mean, we're seeing it in, in huge levels. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we are, this is our 48th, 43rd trip. Something like that. To Washington. Wow. Since the first time I ran into you. Yeah. Uh, are you based out in L.A.? In Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's, uh, yeah, that's serious. Forty-three yeah. trips to yeah, about the last year and a half. Yeah, last year and a half. And wow. we're excited, and the people are, are catching on. We're going to come back in May for the youth initiative with Congressman Moreno, and uh, they've invited us to come back and to actually air that for our listeners yeah, while, the kids are here. while the kids are here. And, yeah. and we're excited. And one thing we see, Congressman Jeffries, with you, and we'll just ask you some few informal questions. I know we have a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, very strong on criminal justice reform. Give us your thoughts of what is driving you to make that type of initiative happen in this country right now. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, you know, the United States um, has 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's incarcerated individuals. So America imprisons more people than any other country in the world. And increasingly, we've become a society that over-incarcerates and under-educates. And it can be traced directly to the failed war on drugs that began in the early 1970s. President Richard Nixon declares uh, drug abuse public enemy number one at the time. There are less than 350,000 people incarcerated in America today. There are 2.3 million. Wow. The overwhelming majority of those individuals are black and Latino. <laughs> Approximately half of those individuals are there for nonviolent drug offenses. They needed treatment. Instead, they got a jail cell often sent away for for long periods of time as bad for them, bad for the community, bad for their families, bad for the nation. And so mass incarceration in some ways uh, is the um, followed in time Jim Crow, which was dismantled, which followed in time slavery that had been abolished. And if you were to reverse that and Look at the African-American experience in America. We've gone from slavery to a brief period of reconstruction, then into Jim Crow, to a civil rights movement in the mid to late 50s through the mid 60s, and then mass incarceration starting uh, in the early 1970s to the present day. The African-American community hasn't had a lot of time to breathe. Sure. Uh, if you look at it through that spectrum. Sure. And America can't realize its full promise uh, until every single community, regardless of race, this is Dr. King's dream, has the opportunity uh, to robustly uh, be all that they can be. Sure. And Congressman Jeffries, we find with the 
police community relations, when you talk about criminal justice reform, our position is this. It starts from the time the handcuffs go on. I said in a previous interview that racial disparities is a major issue based upon what you have just shared with us in this audience. Uh, now we see to a point that racial disparities now are coming into the courtrooms with federal elect, federal appointed judges. Uh, what do we do about overzealous prosecutors that just are not getting it? That we're not about justice, not about fairness, not about treatment, as you've alluded to. But now we have judges uh, implementing racial disparities from the bench. How do we address that issue? Well, this is a bipartisan moment. And one of the things that has been encouraging for me over the last few years here in Congress is that Democrats and Republicans, progressives and conservatives, groups as wide-ranging as the ACLU from the left or the Koch brothers on the right, have come to the conclusion that our criminal justice system is broken from soup to nuts, and we've got to do everything possible to fix it. That means adjusting the relationship between the police and the community sure. so it's more respectful uh, and it's anchored in the Constitution, not confrontation. We have to make sure that prosecutors uh, are moving forward to do justice, but not necessarily um, overzealous prosecutions sure. uh, based on laws that have given uh, district attorney offices throughout the country inordinate power uh, and taken uh, the ability of judges to actually render sentences that are fair and equitable. One of the things that we're doing on the House Judiciary Committee and on the Senate Judiciary Committee is to move legislation forward that reforms our nation's sentencing laws there we go. Uh, in a way that reduces the over-reliance on mandatory minimums, which have been used to send people away, often uh, nonviolent drug offenders, for unconscionable periods of time. Sure. We've passed uh, legislation that is unanimous out of the House, House Judiciary Committee that would roll back some of those mandatory minimums. We're also trying to deal with the uh, continued disparity between crack cocaine and powder cocaine which has a racially disparate impact uh, on the administration of justice. Up until 2010, uh, you could have the same amount of crack cocaine in weight as powder cocaine, but the sentencing disparity was 100 to 1. Wow. Even though individuals in the scientific community have made clear that there is no pharmacological difference between crack cocaine use and powder cocaine use. The difference is that crack cocaine had been perceived as an inner city drug mm -hmm. and powder cocaine used in rural America and in suburban communities. That disparity was reduced from 100 to 1 in 2010 to 18 to 1. Many of us believe it should be 1 to 1. But when that change was made, it wasn't retroactive, which means that there were thousands of people in a federal penitentiary, in a federal penitentiary, who were there on a sentence that Congress itself concluded was unjust, sure. but um, because it wasn't made retroactive, was still in prison. We've moved forward with legislation that would make the 18 to 1 change retroactive, which would result in thousands of people who are currently in prison um, being able to transition out. 
hopefully successfully reenter society. So those are some of the things that legislatively are underway on the front end, which is what we call sentencing reform. Sure. And then on the back end, in what is often referred to as prison reform, right. we're trying to strengthen uh, the opportunity for people to successfully reenter society, give them the opportunity for a fresh start, to get educated, to find housing, to get uh, job opportunities that will keep them on a straight and narrow path so that they can live productive lives and not fall back into sort of the underground destructive economy. Oh, absolutely. Did you have a question? Yeah, I was going to say to that point, you know, we we come from Colorado, and now in Colorado, uh, as you well know, marijuana is legal there. But you look at those who have been incarcerated for the sale and distribution of marijuana, just in the state, in their own communities, and we have to, you know, look at our governor, our senator there, and say, what do we do about the, the people who are from the you know, the lower income communities who are in prison for years for my marijuana sale, but now it's legal. Right. Uh, the, the, the state is profiting from it, but we have this issue with the men who are still in prison. How do we reintegrate them into society? I, I understand that that is a Colorado issue, but as far as a question for me, I know 2014 was a record exoneration year uh, for people who went to prison, were found innocent, and then were exonerated of their crime. Is there part of the initiative on criminal reform that Congress is looking at for those who are in prison wrongfully and found to be innocent to kind of fast track that process to say that innocent people who are spending time in jail and some in solitary confinement for no reason, how do we deal with that problem? Yeah, there's certainly uh, some things that I think we need to do as a Congress to deal with the question of wrongful convictions. At the local level, we recently, in 2013, uh, helped to elect a very progressive district attorney named Ken Thompson, who, upon taking office, created a conviction integrity unit that has resulted over the last two years uh, in the release of approximately 18 different wrongfully convicted individuals, some of whom served sentences in excess of 20 years. Right. And his office continues to uh, review those conv uh, additional convictions to determine if there are innocent people who remain behind bars. It has become a national model, and one of the things that we are urging many of our colleagues here to do is to look at what is happening in Kings County with this Conviction Integrity Unit to see how it can be modeled uh, in different jurisdictions out in Colorado uh, as well as other places to deal with the question of wrongful convictions. I mean, our society has gotten to a place as a result of this mass incarceration era where individual lives were treated like statistics and many uh, railroaded in ways that uh, is inconsistent with the notion of innocent until proven guilty right. and all of the foundational pillars of our constitution. And Congressman Jeffries, and, and we know we're uh, we're going to be respectful of your time, and uh, we appreciate again the time you've taken with us. We have found, and I, I want your opinion on this. As President Obama has uh, gone forward uh, in a very aggressive way, dealing with criminal justice reform, uh, going to the solitary confinement places in the in the prison system, in the federal prison system, and speaking, uh, he made a statement that some of these people that he saw and dealt with. 
he recognized these are these are Americans, and a lot of them. He said some of these choices they've made. Uh, he said I've made the same mistakes in my life. Uh, my question is, I know the president has leaned toward uh, nonviolent drug offenders, and that's been the really huge push. Um, we have found through our research and advocacy, uh, through a case, I think we had shared this when I was here before, the IRP6 case, yeah. which is a white-collar crime. Uh, and this is, this is what I believe, and I want your thoughts on it. We have a minority, five, six minorities, uh, four, uh, five black, one Italian-American, seeking the entrepreneur spirit, if you will, of America. We talk about what opportunities are there for the African-American uh, men that are out here to build something, to do something. These men set out to keep the homeland safe through software being developed. Uh, I don't know if you've read up on this, but I know we had shared briefly. Yeah. Uh, what initiatives are we doing in cases? The violation of law in that particular case, and we're not asking you to chime on the case itself, but the actions of a court, of a prosecutor, of six, five minorities who say, you know what? We stood at ground zero and saw a vision to keep this country safe. Patriots of America, former uh, 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 presidential appointment to the Air Force Academy, uh, NORAD, I believe, uh, cybersecurity. Patriots of America, who I think, U.S. Navy. Uh, what are we doing to address? And every time the president comes out and says, hey, we're going to do something, and I believe in what he's doing and what, what Congress is doing, it is clear the, 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 the steps are being taken. What do we do about something like the IRP-6? Six men who have software that Americans sit on their couch, is ISIS going to attack us tonight? And they went out with the entrepreneurial spirit to do something, and America came back and thanked them through the most bizarre acts of violations of the Constitution that you can imagine. How do we address those issues? Yeah, it's a great question. And there uh, are several members of the Judiciary Committee that I can say are committed to trying to deal with the problem of government overreach in sure. the context of uh, aggressive and inappropriate prosecution. For about 18 months, I sat on a task force on overcriminalization, sure. uh, which examined sort of the explosion of incarceration in America and the impact that um, overzealousness has had on communities in being out of balance with notions of liberty and justice for everyone. We examined as part of that the sort of failed war on drugs, but there were other aspects to it to deal with overcriminalization and sort of the administrative crime offense category. And there are many Republicans my colleagues on the other side of the aisle who are particularly interested in dealing with instances of government overreach by prosecutors where individuals were uh, pursued criminally for what may more reasonably be characterized as an administrative civil offense at best. Absolutely. Some of the tools that prosecutors have used in this regard relate to uh, civil forfeiture laws, which are in the process of being um, reform, and that charge is actually being led by Republicans in the House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Many of my colleagues are also uh, looking at changing the laws as it relates to mens rea, which translates to intent. into intent uh, and guilty mind, which is what 
has always been thought of as important in the context of a criminal prosecution, but the mens rea requirements over time have eroded so that uh, it's given some overzealous government officials the ability to prosecute people when there may actually be no criminal intent. Absolutely. Even if there was a technical violation of a statute. Sure. Right. And so we're working to deal with the mens rea issue, which will hopefully restore the right balance. I think there the overwhelming majority of prosecutors uh, you know, are involved in government service for the right reasons to sure. help make sure laws are enforced in an equitable and fair way. But absolute power can corrupt absolutely, absolutely. as Lord Acton once said. And yeah. that uh, is a challenge for us in Congress sure. Uh, to address because ultimately, particularly in the House, we're the last line of defense as it relates to liberty and justice for the American people. Right. And we have to make sure that the balance is struck correctly. Okay, and Congressman Jeffrey, we'll close on, on that note. I, what I will do, Congressman Jeffrey, because I'll tell you this, and I'm being completely honest with you, again, we are thrilled for the opportunity because we understand you are very busy individual. <laughs> In Washington, we have learned over 43 trips. Yeah. Uh, how insanely busy you people are. It's just something that's like, wow. And I think that's what's important that we push to the American people. I'd like to leave some information yeah. in regards to that IRP6 for one reason. Because when I talked to you last year, we were just on the run. You said, I want to hear, you were I want to hear this. Yeah. And what you just said to the us moments ago in that, it is the poster child of yeah. overreach. Over criminalization. When Eric Holder came out, we had people sitting in prison for no, what is, no I don't, good law enforcement reason. reason. And what you just said speaks so much uh, to what that particular case is. Uh, the case is over, so you're not chiming in on guilt or innocent or whatever. But I'm going to leave some information with you, yeah. Congressman Jeffries. I'd like to follow up with you later when you have an opportunity. Uh, we want you to know you have an open invitation to AJC Radio to get that message, whatever it yeah. is that you're doing. We are making a huge impact in the minds of the American people. And what you said today, one thing I know for certain is that if Congressman Jeffries says it and he's committed to it, I've seen you on TV, I've seen you at work, I've ste stepped into hearings here in Washington, and I'm telling you, this is not a man you want to play with when it comes <laughs> to the Constitution of the United States. And that is to be respected, yeah. because that is the purpose. What I say all the time on this program the members of Congress and every spotlight on Capitol Hill starts with the oath. Welcome to the 114th, 100 and whatever Congress. There's an oath taken. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen of America, you got it right with Congressman Jeffries. Because as we have seen over the period of time, we have been baffled just by what we've learned. That, man, these people are not playing games up here. And yeah. certain people I've talked to... I'm like, okay, if I'm on Capitol Hill, I'm not messing with that guy. <laughs> I, oh, that woman. I'm not, I'm not even going to touch right. that. So uh, if, if, you, if you can't agree, uh, Congressman Jefferson, please read that information. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, make sure you leave it with Michael, and then I'll make sure that um, the person who specializes in criminal justice, who's great, uh, on our staff, works with me to kind of review it. Okay. And, uh, you want me to leave one correct. for you and one for them? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Brad, pass that. And then we'll just, there you go, Congressman. Thank you. And uh, we appreciate you taking time with us. Yeah. At the end of the day, we said before, ladies and gentlemen of America, that these congressmen uh, and women had take the time to sit down. And my, I'm telling you, you've probably been here for a, a long time today. 
and he took the time to meet with us, Congressman Justice. We are so appreciative of it, and we look forward to opening our door to Agency Radio. You have a friend here with us, and we'll go forward to get your message, your legislation, whatever you're doing, anytime. Call us, and we will put you on uh, Agency Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill to share those initiatives. That's great. Thank you for taking the time. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank Good you. Can I get a picture of you with them real sure. quick? Well, he's in Sunday's best, so... Uh, <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. Wow. Lisa, when you hear Congressman Jeffries talk, he is committed to justice. Your thoughts on that? Yes, he is. He's very he's very much committed to what he's trying to what he's trying to accomplish. And I think it I think it bodes well for the people of America that to have someone like that fighting in your corner trying to get justice for the citizens of this country. Cliff, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean it is his overcasting theme. What he talks about is justice, civil rights, everything about the American people. And sure, there are other initiatives that he has, but when it comes to just the rights of the American people, that is what he is about. The constitutional rights that were laid down by the forefathers of the country, that's what he's about. And his his passion for it, when you hear him speak, when you hear him, uh, you know, arguing on the floor for his point, it is what he is about. All about the American right, uh, people, their rights under the Constitution, and how that still applies to us today. It, that's awesome. You, you just Yes. That's the best word for it. It's awesome. Dennis, your thoughts on, on this champion uh, on the Hill? Wow. I, I I just, as I was listening to him, I was thinking about how, uh, first, we must believe there is a problem before we'll address the problem. And the way he was talking, it was straightforward that, hey, we got a problem. Uh, there's a problem with our justice system. There's some things we need to do. Uh, we need to change. We, we, we need to change the way we're doing things, so we're not continually, again, like I said earlier, putting people back in prison that's already been there, you know. And then when you were talking about the the innocent, I mean, how do we deal with that? And well, he, and, and he's very and much he was connected. Honest. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, uh, wow, I guess the meatloaf is gone. Uh, dessert is on the way as we have. Unveiled a champion here on Capitol Hill with Congressman Jeffries, and uh, it gives you a, a position of hope in a time of trouble in this country uh, that we do have people there. And Congressman Jeffries, and to your staff, we salute you tonight as a champion that occupies our nation's capital. Folks, we're coming right back. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday as we have shined the light and have not even scratched the surface of unveiling a champion. His name is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. We're coming right back here on Spotlight Capitol Hill. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn 
when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. our justice system get it wrong convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit a new project by the university of michigan law school and the center for wrongful convictions at northwestern university school of law tries to answer that question in the last 23 years more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated according to the national registry of exonerations By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Thank you as, as one of the uh, three members of the hip-hop generation uh, on the stage, although my kids don't necessarily think so uh, right now. But it's an honor and a privilege uh, to be part of this wonderful group, the leadership of Nancy Pelosi and Jim Clyburn, and as uh, Representative Richmond indicated, to help relay to a different generation of Americans the importance of the struggles that have occurred in the past the progress that has been made, uh, as well as the need to continue to move forward to address some of the issues that are relevant related to the relationship between the police and the community, college affordability, access to a changing job market. These are things that we want to make clear to bring the American life uh, in a robust fashion, in a manner that allows them to pursue the American Dream. Voting uh, is a key to translating 
their ideals, their values, their aspirations into public policy. And I look forward to being a part of that moving forward. And the last thing I'll just add is that traditionally, subsequent to 1965, uh, voting rights, which is fundamental to the integrity of our democracy in America, has been relatively non-controversial in Washington, D.C. It was reauthorized on four different occasions with large bipartisan majorities, and every single time in 1970, Richard Nixon, in 1976, uh, Gerald Ford, in 1982, Ronald Reagan in 2006, President George W. Bush, every single time the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized, large bipartisan majorities signed into law by a Republican president. There is no reason in this Congress we shouldn't be able to do the same. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries uh, addresses some issue. Welcome back to Spotlight on Capitol Hill. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt. And what you heard there, ladies and gentlemen of America, is Congressman Jeffries addressing the importance of the uh, right to vote. Uh, the importance of that is we face an election year uh, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of controversy in regards to different requirements in certain states uh, in regarding to voting, what they're requiring of uh, the citizens of America, uh, to complicate matters uh, that perhaps every vote would not be counted. Perhaps someone that doesn't have a up-to-date license uh, in, an, in a particular area in this country, uh, for whatever reason, we want to say, well, they can't vote. It affects and damages the process. Congressman Jeffrey says this is something that has to be preserved. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Exactly. I mean, suppressing the vote in any way, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, classifying a felon as a non-citizen, you know, they they do so much. There's, there's so much done to change the the, the title citizen. If you were born in this United States of America, whether you made a mistake or not, you should have that the right to vote. Right. And if we suppress the vote, if you look at it, and, and a lot of people want to go there, but there's there's more blacks in prison than any other race. Well, so if we suppress that vote, well, well, and, we, and we're going to get to that. That's that's not going to work for uh, you. We'll get to that, but I think on top of that, and we're going to get to that in a moment, Dennis. To to your point, exactly the. The voting rights that Congressman Jeffrey addresses in that clip is the is the underlining factors that states are trying to apply restrictions, right? Uh, other demands on voters to uh, supply this or supply that or do this or do that when it's simple to just let the American people go to those polls and vote. Uh, and to now to your next point in regards to the to, to the. Uh, a particular bill that Congressman Jeffries is attempting to get through, Lisa, we talked about uh, as law, is the formerly incarcerated Voter Registration Act of 2015. Now, this bill amends the Federal Criminal Code to direct the Bureau of Prisons to include among reentry planning procedures the provision to federal prisoners of information about the laws and regulations governing the right of an individual convicted of a felony who has been released from prison to vote in each state. 
any voter registration or application forms the prisoner will need to complete in order to vote in the state in which the prisoner will reside in upon release. Lisa, when you think about that, that's just one small step that we're looking, that Congressman Jeffrey, rather, is looking to do, to say, look, when do we draw the line and say, wait a minute, a debt has been paid to society. These men made mistakes, women made mistakes, but you've paid your debt to society. What? Exactly. And Lamont, it's almost like they, they're no longer citizens of this country. They're, they're citizens of, as long as they're citizens of the United States, they have a right to vote. They should be given that opportunity. Just because they broke the law at some point in their lives and made, made a bad decision, they, when they, when they, once they've left prison, once they're out of that system and they're, and they're going on with their lives and they're no longer uh, committing crimes, they're no longer doing anything wrong, why then would they not have that opportunity to be treated like any other citizen of this country? Well, I think, Lisa, to that point, this is why we keep saying the vision of Congressman Jeffries. He's addressing every issue on the horizon. Yes, he is. Every issue, voting. Uh, he's dealing with the war on poverty, uh, police accountability, minimum wage he addresses. He is on every side of the American citizen. These are things that not only affect today, they shape America's tomorrow. These are things that make you feel to one point why we feel so good about Congressman Jeffries, why we are optimistic that if we do what's necessary in this country, and it's high time that we quit slamming our members of Congress and honor them, that's right. For the work that is being exactly. done. Exactly. I agree. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just not a piece of paper that, that uh, uh, just has a bunch of jib, jibber jazz, whatever you want to call it, on it. These are laws that shape America that will affect your children, their children, and the freedoms that we are supposed to hold dear in this country. Dennis, you look like you got something to say. <laughs> uh, it, it's just amazing. I tell you, he's doing a great work. And I tell you, if we could get everybody on board, let's let's cross these political lines. Let's start thinking about the American people and what's best for our citizens. And that's what he's doing. No, without question. And those are things that are critically, critically important. And I tell you, we talked a little bit. We understand. We've talked, Lisa, uh, to other members and other. I think the American people are very concerned about the war on poverty, uh, the things that are happening. If you can get folks out of poverty. And get them on the right track. Yes. You build a better person. Awesome. You build a better nation if we can eliminate poverty. And Congressman Jeffries spoke very, very clear about this issue. This month we mark the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of the War on Poverty. We know that on January 8, 1964, President Lyndon Baines Johnson came to this very chamber, spoke to a joint session of Congress, and laid out a series of initiatives designed to combat chronic poverty in this country. As a result of this effort, there were many legislative battles that were won in the march toward the creation of a great society. Medicare, Medicaid, Head Start school breakfast program, the Food Stamp Act, minimum wage enhancement, job core, college work study. 
These were programs all part of that great society era enacted between 1964 and 1966. And taken together with other war on poverty initiatives, they managed to rescue millions and millions of Americans from their impoverished condition and set them on a pathway toward the middle class. And over the years, we've attempted to continue that war on poverty with great success, such that the situation in America now is better than it was in 1964. Yet we know that the war continues. But instead, it seems like as opposed to waging a war on poverty here in this chamber, many of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle have decided to embark on a war against the poor, a war against middle-class families and senior citizens. Well, you couldn't speak any clearer than that. Um, Dennis Cliff Lisa gives you a little bit some chills. Uh, he, he talks about, that last statement I think is profound. He said there is war against the poor. Uh, those that are maybe may living in poverty, and he defends those that can't defend themselves. When you hear that cliff on that level, uh, that really, really resonates, at least with me, and I'm sure all the American people and our listeners tonight. I mean, he is serious about what he's talking about, about the conditions of this country. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from his uh, from his bills to like you had talked earlier about the young six-year-old boy PJ uh, making sure that there's cameras in the housing projects. Uh, he goes on to uh, make sure that there are lockable doors in the housing projects to make sure that uh, you know that there's there's uh, tax breaks and benefits for people who are living in housing projects. And what it what it speaks to is his connection with the with the american people that you know it's kind of like the underdog this is this is the person that may not have as much as uh you know the next person in the middle class or not even getting up to the middle class i mean these are people that uh you know sometimes just just need a hand uh not a handout but a hand to say i need help i'm doing what i can uh, you know, I work two jobs. I might be a single mother. I might be a single father. I have a couple kids. I need I need someone to um, to watch them while I'm at work. He's putting into law. He's putting acts out that says we are here as members of Congress to be a helping hand because we understand that this part of Amer of America cannot be forgotten. I mean, this the the, the kids that are getting aid now are the children of the future, are the ones that, you know, may grow up to be, uh, you know, the next president of the United States, may grow up to be uh, a member of Congress and need to understand that, you know, when they needed a hand up, that the members of Congress were there, was there for them and that that is what their their duty would be, is to help their fellow man. I mean, and, and it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, when you talk about the human spirit of America, and that is reaching out and making a difference. A little bit about the man, Congressman Jeffries. He obtained his bachelor's degree in political science from the State University of New York at Binghamton, excuse me, 
how do you pronounce that? Binghamton. Bing- Binghamton. Apologize for that. Uh, where he graduated with honors for outstanding academic achievement. He then received his master's degree in public policy from Georgetown University. Uh, thereafter, Congressman Jeffries attended New York University School of Law, where he graduated uh, magna cum laude and served on the Law Review. Following the completion of law school, Jeffries clerked for the Honorable Harold Baer, Jr. of the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. He practiced law for several years at Paul Weiss Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison, an internationally renowned law firm, and then served as counsel in the litigation department of two Fortune 100 companies, Viacom Inc. and CBS. He also worked as a counsel at Gotsky of and Gentile, a well-regarded litigation firm in New York City. Congressman Jeffrey was born in Brooklyn Hospital and raised in Crown Heights. He is a product of New York City's public school system, having graduated from Midwood High School and currently lives in a Prospect Heights, excuse me, in Prospect Heights with his family. Uh, and when you when you think about uh, Congressman Jeffrey's upbringing, uh, Dennis, you're from the New York area. Uh, He's come up uh, and done some great things out of that area and out of that community and has to be respected as a great leader uh, from his district. Your thoughts on that? Roger, he's a, tr- he's a true example. And uh, that's, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's put it out there the way that uh, all our congressmen should be doing. You know, everybody should be out, out there making sure that it's not just about uh, the middle class, but it's also about our poor and uh, who better to speak for the poor than uh, one of our elected officials? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he goes further. We talked about some of the things that he does. Uh, Congressman Jeffries, uh, man, I mean, we could be here all night, Dennis, Cliff, Lisa, with this information. Uh, you know, there's a bill, uh, Low and Moderate Income Housing Act of 2014. Cliff, I think you alluded a little bit to this. Uh, bill amends the Internal Revenue Code with respect to the low-income housing tax credit uh, to provide that qualified low-income housing project is eligible for the credit uh, of 50, if 50% or more of the residential units in such projects are both rent-restricted uh, and occupied by individuals whose income uh, is at least 50% but not more than 120% of area median gross income. Uh, so he's taken a look at the uh, the, the the areas that seem to go forgotten, if you will, in this country, and he is connected, as Cliff, you alluded to earlier, down to going home every spring and summer, talking to those people uh, of, of his district, the people that said, we believe in you, Congressman Jeffries, and to give back. That's how you keep going and getting elected term after term after term when people believe in you. But most importantly, you show a belief in them. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And what you see with Congressman Jeffries is that he is doing the things that it takes. I mean, you you know, you have some people who, you know, they go out, they uh they make a start, they'll they'll make a speech, uh they'll say that they're for something and against something else, but when you really have a person who who does what it takes, getting things done, says, "Hey, I put I put my word out there." And now I'm following through on it. That is the type of uh, of member of Congress that we need. That you know that that hey, just, just like you said when we talked to him there, that you know he has proven his track record says that if he says he'll do it, that he will do it. 
And that's what we need as uh, members of Congress, not just people who are giving lip service, not just people who are saying, hey, you know, vote me in. Uh, I'll say whatever it takes to, to uh, you know, to get my seat. That's that's not what it's about. It's about serving the American people. And it's about when you get that seat, doing what it takes to ensure that uh, that that issues of, you know, broad spanning issues from the middle class to uh, the upper middle class to the, the poor, those in poverty, that every American citizen is. Uh, is represented, and that's what Congressman Jeffries does. Well, that's exactly what he does, and and it, you know the list goes on and on. Uh, he has the eight the hate list. Let's read a couple of these things that he's doing. Uh, the Hate Crime Reporting Act of 2014. Uh, he also goes into the Excessive Use of Force Prevention Act. We talked about that earlier. The Fry Scholarship Enhancement Act. Uh, the I mean, you just go on and on through these things. Disaster Response Reform Act. Vulnerable Immigrant Voice Act. Uh, protecting even those, the immigrants and, and those that are trying to get citizens here, protecting American taxpayers from Fraud Act of 2015. He goes on other legislation, uh, the PJ's Act that we talked about, Cliff and Dennis and Lisa, in regards to the young boy that was killed, that motivated him and drove him to, to take action in those low-income areas, to bring livable conditions uh, to, to that community. Uh, the Slain Officer Family Support Act of 2015. Uh, bill authorizes charitable tax deductions. We talked about that to the families of the officers that were slain in the line of duty. Uh, the Extreme Weather Mitigation Act of 2013. Low and Moderate Income Housing Act of 2014. Vulnerable, uh, and I said that, the Vulnerable Im Immigrant uh, Voice Act, that actually speaks uh, to the, it mans the Immigration and Nationality Act to require that counsel at the government's expense in a removal or related appeal proceeding shall be provided only for an alien who is an unaccompanied child Incompetent to represent himself or herself due to a serious mental disability. He speaks to the issues that may be facing some of the immigrants, illegal immigrant, immigrants that may be in this country. We've become so broadsided in what we think right. immigration is. Congressman Jeffries, this is again goes to the leadership of the man. Yes. He says we're not just trying to put them back, gather up 20 million people and say get out of our country. He is saying one thing. Let's look into the issue. If there's a mental problem here that they can't represent themselves, let's be Americans and extend a hand of compassion. This is a well-rounded congressman. Yeah, and it, and it I mean, talking about the the uh, his his stance on immigration, it's not like you said. It's not about hey, you know, just get all these people and push them out. No, these people are here. And they have become an integral part of American society. America is supposed to be the melting pot. There you go. The land of opportunity where anyone can come for, uh, for you know, political asylum, for, for uh, sanctuary, against all type of bad things that were happening in their country. We cannot just look at it and say, well, no, you're, you, you need to get out because you don't have proper pra uh, papers. Congressman Jeffrey says, hey, no, let's, let's look at it. Let's deal with what's going on, and let's look at the mitigating circumstances of why are you here without papers? Are you here to work? You just want to take care of your family? Okay, let's do something that ensures that you continue to do that, not just, well, you know what, go back to where you came well, from. That's look, not the answer. Look, America is known or has been known for decades and centuries of helping those that cannot help themselves. Yes. 
When I hear what Congressman Jeffrey does, Cliff, as you alluded to in that point, let's take a deeper look into immigration. Let's be human beings, caretakers, if you will, of, 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 of America. This is what drove uh, folks from all over the world to come here because they saw something in the human spirit of Americans that motivated them to say, I can do better there. I can maybe do something with my life. When you, with all the controversy about illegal immigration and all that's going on, and there are guidelines and there are laws, we understand all of that. But Congressman Jeffries puts the human touch that, look, we're going to deal with the issue, but we will, be not, we, we will not be barbaric right. with that issue. We will be human beings uh, to that issue. And uh, down to the bill uh, we talked about, and I think that is so admirable, uh, the bill that protects the families of slain officers. Awesome. I mean, Congressman Jeffries was very concerned about that when those cops were killed in New York. People think, well, you know, we're just going to go, you know, we, we form an opinion about our elected officials that simply is not true. Congressman Jeffries speaks to the fact of those cops being killed. Here's what he had to say. What's it like in your district right now? It must be awful over there. Well, we certainly are a wounded city right now, although we remain a resilient city. This was a tragedy for the Bedford-Stuyvesant community that I represent, a tragedy for the city, tragedy for the country, tragedy for the police department. But most importantly, Wolf, it's a tragedy for the family of Officer Ramos and Officer Lou. Uh, and so our first order of business is just making sure that these two heroes are buried with the dignity and respect that they deserve, uh, that they're given a hero send-off. And then we're going to have to come together as a city to repair the damaged relationship between the police and the community so that we can make sure that there's an appropriate balance between effective law enforcement. We support the police department. We need the police department. Uh, but we also want to make sure that there's a healthy respect for the Constitution, for the civil rights of all communities. As you know, the police uh, officers, the police union, they are really angry at a lot of the statements that politicians have made, not only the mayor, but the attorney general, even the president, presumably you as well, for the aftermath of Ferguson, the aftermath of Staten Island, where there seem to be statements very critical of law enforcement. Let me play a little clip. Here's a clip of an interview you did with our Christian Amanpour, and I want you to give you, give you an opportunity to give me some context of what you were saying. And I was really struggling as a father as to what to say to my oldest son in particular about what this verdict or failure to indict means uh, in terms of his everyday interactions on the streets of New York. I was actually comforted by the fact that I called and he got home safely. And I've got to worry every day about what could happen to him, not just from the robbers, but from a bad apple on the police department. All right, so a statement, a bad apple among the police department, that police officers are saying, and, and it's you know, fair or unfair, uh, unfair, that could have inspired some of these kinds of anti-police rhetoric and actions we saw with this one guy who, caught, who killed these two police officers. Well, first of all, this was a deranged individual, a coward, uh, who engaged in this assassination of these two officers. Uh, someone who had a, a dramatic uh, criminal record in two states. There's no way that this individual should have had a gun. Uh, one of the po public policy implications of this uh, tragedy is figuring out how we can deal with our gun violence problem in America. Uh, and I don't think that any criticism of the police department in terms of the few officers that engage in the excessive use of force should be conflated uh, with this tragedy. Uh, 
these officers did not deserve to die, but Eric Gardner did not deserve to die. Uh, and clearly there's an issue in terms of equal protection under the law for everyone, which is contained in the Constitution, and we want to make sure that that provision is brought to life. And there you have it. Uh, wow. Congressman Jeffries, again, says he dealt with his own issues with his own son and was concerned about the safety of America. Uh, the safety of his son walking down the streets of New York City when we have officers taking the lives of citizens who we are supposed to depend on for peace. Dennis, when you hear that, that's why I keep saying, and I'll say it again, Congressman Jeffries is connected to the American people. He is connected. Your thoughts, Dennis, on what he had to say? As he was speaking, he he, he clearly uh, made it understood that, uh, yes, we're, we're concerned about not only the citizens, the people that that are on the end uh, of, you know, the the officers doing things that they shouldn't be. But we're also concerned about the officers who who, who, who take, uh, you know, that they have to deal with, you know, the injustice of our our citizens against officers. So he he wanted to make sure people understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what happened uh, in, in, in New York, you know, was wrong, you know, with Gardner. Uh, but we got to understand, though, we don't we're not condoning, you know, citizens going after our law enforcement officials. No, we just want to make sure that everybody understand there's justice and no one's above the law, not even the, law, the, the enforcers of the law and our citizens. And, you know, what what it, it, it's common sense. Right. That's what he deals with, because, I mean, he has the uh, excessive use of force prevention act. And he also has the Slain Officer Family Support Act. So exactly. he's looking at it from both sides. He's Absolutely. Saying, Look, we Absolutely. have to take a common sense look at it. And for them, for, uh, you know, and that was with Blitzer talking to him. And for for anyone, for the police officers to say, well, we don't appreciate the things that he's saying. Well, he's dealing with the facts. He's dealing with the fact that there was a man, Eric Gardner, choked out in the street and killed by a police officer. So is he concerned for his son's welfare? Absolutely. Is he concerned for the fact that these two police officers were slain as they were equally on as upset? Equally as upset that he wrote he wrote legislation about it. Well, it's a common sense, uh, just plain everyday. This makes sense to deal with both sides of the issue. So you cannot fault him on it. You have to commend him. Exactly. You have to commend exactly. him on the fact that I'm dealing with both sides of the coin. Well, well, that's exactly what he's doing, ladies and gentlemen of America. Let's make one point very clear. That Congressman Jeffries, in the Use of Force Prevention Act of 2015, we talked about it earlier, makes the use of a chokehold as a form of restraint by armed officers not just a violation of law, it's a civil rights infraction. Now, if you want, I tell you right now, no police department, no law enforcement, they definitely don't want to hear the words civil rights violations. Right. That's something that they do not want to hear. Again, Congressman Jeffries, a leader, knows exactly what he's doing. We're not only going to say it's a violation of law. We are going to say it is a civil rights infraction on the rights of Americans. 
We reiterate this point that chokeholds have been banned. This is what is very that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'll explain it in a moment. That chokeholds have been banned by the New York Police Department for more than 20 years. Then if it's banned, is, it, is this a facade within law enforcement agencies across this country so it looks proper on paper? Well, when this is banned, then how do you come back with no indictment? Exactly. Exactly. That doesn't make an ounce of sense, if anything, but I guarantee you the grand jury never heard that. Right. Yeah, this is this is <laughs> this is banned in the state. A police officer cannot use this is an excessive use of force and it is a le- an illegal chokehold. Illegal means you need to be prosecuted That's the for bottom it. Line. Exactly. How how did that how did that go? How did that go slip, Cliff? It it makes absolutely <laughs> no sense whatsoever. But that is why he's saying make it a federal law. And a so civil rights a, issue. A federal civil rights issue so that even if that grand jury in New York did not come back with an indictment federally, that officer could be brought up on charge that says you violated a federal a, a federal civil rights liberty of a, a, a citizen of the United States. You're being brought up on federal charges. Then that's a whole nother picture. We talk about, again, the landscape that is being set here. Lisa, there are 20 original co-sponsors of this legislation, including the Honorable Char- uh, Congressman Charles Rangel. Uh, Congressman Jose Serrano, uh, Congressman Gregory Meeks, and Congressman Yvette Clark, just to name a few. Folks, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And Lisa, what do we do when we have so much information and yet we don't have the time to continue this honor? I think that's when you got to do a part two. Well, we've been talking about part it. Three and four. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks. We said you couldn't go any higher here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. I believe we're beyond the space mode. Uh, Mach 1, whatever you want to call it, this is something that is absolutely amazing. We want to give a very special thanks to Congressman Jeffries, his staff. We salute you, Congressman, for the work you're doing, and you have an aide and you have a friend in AJC Radio. Hey, ladies and gentlemen of America, folks listening in New York City tonight, uh, stand up and take a bow because you got it right in New York with Congressman Jeffries. We're coming back with what you didn't know about the RP6. Hang on, folks. This is going to be a humdinger. We're coming right back. A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice. And making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Thank you. 
Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. A very special thanks to Congressman uh, Hakeem Jeffries for the interview that he gave us in Washington, D.C. An extraordinary man. Uh, if you want, please go out to AJCRadio.com. You can hear the entirety of this program and others as well. But when you hear that sound, there's something going on that we're getting ready to talk about. And what is that? And this show, as we have alluded to before, uh, deals with a very important issue, what you didn't know about the IRP-6. Every show is dedicated to the patriots of America who sit wrongfully convicted in a jail cell in federal prison for a crime that they never committed. We recommend and direct you to change.org and search IRP-6. Sign the petition as we ask President Obama to grant clemency to these men and these patriots of America. Who are they? They are David Banks, Gary Walker, Dave Zerpolo, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, and Clinton Stewart. And I'll tell you right now, folks, um, we are going to get into that. And uh, what you didn't know is a very important segment. And let's get ready to get ready right now for what you didn't know about the RP6. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP-6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we will ask the tough questions. We will seek for answers that are being avoided. Tonight, what you didn't know about the IRP-6 is that intellectual property was taken in the raid on the RP-6. Cliff, tell the folks about it. Yes, during the raid, when the FBI came in and uh, their search warrant laid out that there were, they were supposed to be collecting, uh, you know, documentation, uh, what do you call it, contracts between the staffing companies and IRP solutions, and uh, financial documents. Now, when they came in, there was a, a filing cabinet that said financials. They never touched that for the whole 14 hours that they were there. Left it in the middle of the floor, never opened it up. What they did do is go out and copy every computer in the in, in the building, every developer's computer, every server, the computer for the janitor, the computer for the security guards, every one of them on those computers. 
they uh, they collected intellectual property. These are uh, patent applications. Uh, these are um, you know engineering documents, developer notes, things of this nature. Those things have been taken and have not been returned to IRP Solutions. Uh, you know, attorney five six motions have been filed with. Of course, Judge Christine Arguel saying, return this property. It is the property of IRP Solutions, not of the federal government. And as we talked to, as we talked about this issue, uh, you know, with with Spotlight on Capitol Hill with Congressman Jeffries, intellectual property is a serious issue when you're you're dealing with with uh, these are business processes, business rights, business secrets. That are that should not be held by the federal government. Well, that is a part of the law. Judge Christine Arguello is not responding to those motions to ensure that Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch returns the IRP, the IRP Solutions intellectual property. It's been sitting there. Ten, you're talking about over ten years. Years, and I'll tell you, folks, the protocol, if you will, is that uh, that it, that property should have been returned. We are talking about intellectual property. We're talking about personal diaries. We're talking about an infringement of the rights of American citizens. And you kept the information that that is not the law. That is actually violation of law. Judge Christine Arguello is on a is on a on a roll if you will of breaking the law. She is a perpetrator of justice and there are many others with her. We will continue to ask and we ask Congress tonight those of the intellectual property caucus those folks who are basically in office to address these issues. We plead with you tonight to look into the Tenth Circuit, from the district court to the appellate court. Violations of law continue. I'll tell you right now, no one has a right to remain silent on these issues. This is what you didn't know about the IRP-6. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hartz, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professionals, and Samuel K. Thurman. And there you have it, perpetrators of justice. And folks, definitely uh, go to ajcradio.com. You can hear this program and all of our programs, The Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We're going to tell you and ask you, not tell you, but we're going to ask you politely to go to change.org and sign the petition for the IRP-6. Who are they? David Banks, Gary Walker, Dave Zappolo, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, and Clinton Stewart. We ask you to go to change.org, sign the petition, just type in IRP-6, and sign the petition as we need to deal with these issues that are facing America and the injustice that has happened to these men. It is very, very important. We're going to ask you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and uh, definitely get involved with what's going on. Cliff? 
Yes, I want to say thank you to everyone in the chat room. Uh, all of your questions and comments are appreciated. I want to say thank you again to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries for allowing us the interview with him. We also want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions, helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the Control Room to make sure that you hear what it is that we have to say. Also, we want to say thank you to our production team, our production support team. They give us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And, folks, this is Lisa. As we sit back and reflect this program, uh, this has been a humdinger. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks. They're going to get better. It's going to get better and better. I don't want to talk outside of the proper English and get uh, told about that. But I'll tell you what, they're getting better. Lisa, your thoughts? I think we have nothing but good things to come, Lamont. With all the people that, we're, that we've been meeting with, that we've been interviewing lately, I mean, it's, just, it's only going to get better from here. Absolutely. Folks, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Join us every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Ladies and gentlemen of America, as we get ready to seek for justice... Bringing the message of justice all around the world. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for your work on criminal justice reform as well as we try to work toward a productive uh, resolution of the challenges that we face here in America. I think uh, most would agree uh, that in a democracy, we just need a balance between effective law enforcement on the one hand and a healthy respect uh, for the Constitution, for civil rights and civil liberties on the other. Uh, and what people want in inner city communities like those I represent, or as uh, Sheriff Clark would refer to it as the ghetto, what people want uh, is to make sure that the constitutional principle of equal protection under the law applies to everyone. And there's concern. Uh, that in certain instances that's not the case. The overwhelming majority of police officers are hardworking individuals who are there to protect and serve the community. That is my position. I believe that is the position of everyone who's genuinely interested in police reform. Uh, but we can't ignore the fact that we have a problem in some instances with the excessive use of police force and the fact that often it is the case when a police officer crosses the line they are not held accountable by the criminal justice system. And that creates consequences in terms of uh, a distrust in many communities, perhaps leading to the absence of cooperation. Justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.